0: Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the US, and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick.
1: There's a reason that medicine serves as a common backdrop to successful drama shows on television, stage, and in novels. Depending on your age, you probably remember the likes of Dr. Kildare, General Hospital, St. Elsewhere, MASH, Scrubs, House, Grey's Anatomy, and, of course, ER. The practice of medicine is filled with uncertainty and unfolds in many cases as a detective story. While many patients can be diagnosed and treated in a straightforward manner, there are some who fall into the unknown category. That number is increasing as we learn more about disease and the human body and underlying causes that move us further down the road of personalized medicine and individualized treatment. I can't speak for other doctors, but I enjoyed the dramatisation of medicine, and each episode of House was a medical mystery. I tried to solve it before the final reveal, as the information unfolded. Mysteries can start with a single piece of data. My medical colleagues will recognise the abbreviation, P-U-O, which stands for Pyrexia of Unknown Origin, also sometimes known as F-U-O, or Fever of Unknown Origin essentially a patient who presents with an elevated body temperature with no obvious cause. As we gather the data and review the literature and science, we refine the possible causes and seek the zebras. Zebras, you ask? Many of us were taught the common aphorism in medical school. When you hear hoofbeats, think horses, or zebras as I would call them, Look for the common before the uncommon, but always in the back of your head remain alert for your own personal house episode. Clinicians are ultimately medical detectives, and like other investigators need data and information to inform, but that data has become a deluge and has been overwhelming clinical practice for some time, and while technology and access to data has changed the way we approach our world, it's come at a cost. Accessing and applying the right information requires time, a commodity in very short supply. How do we divide our time between the human interaction with our patient, the history, examination, and personal interactions with our patients, and the digital detective element and the gathering of the necessary data and resources to inform our insights and decision-making? Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Matt Titus, He is the vice president and chief commercial officer at Epocrates, an Athena health company.
2: Hi, Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me today, Nick. Really happy to be here.
1: So many of the things that have uh, impacted clinicians uh, and everybody, we've changed working practices, but we really changed healthcare. We imposed all of this technology You actually have some data on this that's really quite intriguing.
2: Yeah. So every year we work with a consulting company called Clarivate to do a syndicated research survey among US HCPs called Taking the Pulse. Um, And one of the things that we measure over time is what are clinicians spending their time on? And I think one of the alarming pieces of data that came out of our most recent survey from last year is that. Um, Clinicians, as an unintended consequence, are actually working longer hours um, and also having to triangulate more online resources, spending more time searching for information um, than they have in previous years.
1: So let's break that down because there are two components to this and in many respects quite different and I think maybe different contributory causes. But most troubling an increase in hours, uh, worked hours, and to be clear, you didn't extend the day, we didn't get past 24 hours, there was no time turner involved. So we've consumed more of the clinician's time. What do you think was happening then?
2: Yeah, and for the record, I wish I had that power, I wouldn't wouldn't be doing this job. <laughs> we both do, to be clear. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think what's happened is we have put more demands on clinicians' time. So, our data tells us that the average clinician in 2020 was seeing around 107 patients, and the average clinician in 2021, um, that actually went down a little bit, uh, 104 patients. Um, but the demands on their time went up. So, we found that total working hours of clinicians that were involved in telehealth was hours per day, and hours for non-users of telehealth services were 14.7. But neither one of those numbers are sustainable, especially in a profession that's experiencing a lot of burnout. We know that physicians as a whole in the US are are getting older, right? It's not sustainable to ask someone to work 16 or, or 15 hours per day. The second thing that we saw going back to the technology piece is that in 2020, physicians reported 1.3 hours per day uh, utilizing online resources, whether that be in practice support, product info, or patient resources. But in 2021, that number went up to 1.8. So we're asking clinicians now to spend more time trying to track down information in various parts of uh, digital resources. That's not sustainable either.
1: So it's interesting you talking about this, but Contextually, for me, I've just watched my daughter graduate as a physician, and I I watched that process. And I would say this starts all the way back then, because what we do is we load up an additional requirement in terms of information. As I look at the resources and the things that they're processing vastly increased and yet still in the same sort of time frame not much has changed and certainly not in the education so we we're, we're loading on before they even get into it and then we're expecting them to essentially work for longer hours which means less time off which is absolutely contributory to this burnout that we're hearing and indeed i think that the great resignation um, that feels like that's a, a a basic problem to fix, which says, you know, we reduce the number of hours. Is that plausible? Can we do that? Is there a way of sort of facilitating that, given that we have a limited number of resources of clinicians?
2: Yeah, I, I think there are some levers that we can pull to help in that area. And um, I think what you would find is that physicians are now using technology as, as part of their general roles, right? EHR system is very involved in part of a clinician's care. Um, but does the EHR system have all the tools that a clinician needs? Generally not. So they're trying to use a second screen, whether that to be to reference a drug monograph or to uh, identify a, a pill that a patient brought into the exam room. Or it may be to find a patient copay program or log into a payer's own sort of login information, right? So we're asking clinicians to be technologists at the point of care across many surfaces and many different resources. And as a whole industry, we have not done a good job of consolidating that experience. So it's maybe one portal or two portals that they have to go to. Um, they're really trying to triangulate six, seven, eight types of information, and that is leading to burnout, right? It's, it is a burden for me to uh, get my job done and be a good clinician. As technologists, as uh, medical folks, we can lessen that burden by making smarter tools, by making consolidated areas where Clinicians can find things like educational opportunities, catch up on the the latest news and science, um, do continuing medical education, find point of care tools, right? And and so our goal here at Hippocrates is to streamline that process, provide reliable information, and lessen that burden so clinicians aren't looking at, you know, eight to 10 different areas to try to triangulate what is the right answer.
1: So do you think we can... um take the digital native and provide technology that is better adapted? Or is, is is this essentially targeted at the younger generation and we're just looking at the older generation of clinicians and saying, well, you know, you're just not agile enough to be able to adapt?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's really a two-pronged approach, right? So the, the first one is the architecture and the tools that we provide them. Um, I, I think that pharma and healthcare has been slow to adapt to what we've seen in the consumer world, right? So clinicians are also people in real life. They utilize best in class um, consumer experiences like Amazon, Peloton, Apple, et cetera. But then when you make the flip over to their professional lives, Healthcare is not quite there yet in terms of user experiences, in terms of customer experience, in terms of how they navigate these things. So the first thing I think to unpack is like making better tools that are easy to use, easier to find information, easier to triangulate information. The second is that clinicians by nature are educators, they are learners, they are scientists, right? Very few clinicians have a technology background. And if we're not providing them the education and training on how they can effectively use tools and navigate these tools, it's gonna result in a user experience where they're spending way more time than they have to, to try to triangulate this information or use these systems um, because we're not training them properly to be experts on these tools as well.
1: So I'm gonna push back on that a little bit and say, you know, that's all well and good. But the reality is that's, they went into medicine not to be technologists. Yeah, you know, case in point, I'm obviously slightly different. I'm something of a geek. And there are certainly those that are that, you know, tend to be more agile, even more interested. But the reality is, and many of my colleagues would say, I don't care about this, this stuff should just work. And I would submit that if you can't create technology that doesn't require training, then you've failed at creating the technology. Is that a fair uh, perspective?
2: I think, I think that's a semi-fair perspective, right? Um, I think the secondary technology where you're triangulating information, yes, that should absolutely be true, right? Um, but some of the stuff is gonna be prescribed, no pun intended, to you based on the nature of your job, right? So many clinicians went to uh, medical school and from medical school when there were paper charts, right? Um, But the world has changed and the speed of medicine has changed and drug discovery has changed. That's been largely due to technology. So I think we also have to acknowledge that the world is changing around us. Uh, Workflows are changing. The amount of uh, information that the world is consuming is changing. And so us, even as uh, clinicians, healthcare professionals, technologists, have to evolve with that as well. So uh, fair point. I mean, I think there's
1: a baseline of, you know, uh, uh, continuing education. And that's true in medicine. We have CME. We continue to update our skills based on the latest science and research. And, and to me, that's table stakes. But there's a, 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 a watershed point in some of this technology. And certainly, as I look at, when I look at it from a technology standpoint, that I step over the line and, and go, I, I, this is not a well-designed, consistent cockpit. Mm. And I'll use an analogy that for me, you know, I can get, I, I rent cars, or at least I used to some time back, all the time. And I'll get into any brand of car and I know how to drive it. I know how to find, and there's some minor variations in some of the controls. That is not true in healthcare technology. We just don't seem to have standards. Are standards part of this? Can we impose? Can we in, introduce? Or is are we never going to get agreement on that?
2: Yeah. So, okay. So this is a, a really great topic, right? If, if we are designing the technology for technologists, we've missed, right? I think that we have to design the technology to fit how clinicians operate and the workflows Um, At Hippocrity specifically, we use focus groups with clinicians to go through our app and figure out, is this the way that you would navigate that? When you're searching from information, what is intuitive to you? What is the easiest way to find that? And I, I think bringing in the voice of the clinician when you're designing the technology is the only way that you can win in this space, right? You can't expect someone to do something that doesn't fit into their workflow, that doesn't make sense for... How they're seeing patients and so doing that ux research finding those uh power users and non-power users to give you feedback on what makes sense within the workflow is the only way to succeed in in healthcare
1: yeah i i think the non-power users is a critical contributor you know it's easy to find the, the the passionate engaged individuals but they aren't always representative And, you know, much of the frontline staff that is very busy is struggling with it. Case in point, we've seen, you know, this nurse, Redonda Vaught in uh, Vanderbilt, you know, long-lasting case, reached a conclusion. We've prosecuted this individual for making a medical mistake, and there were many contributory factors, but a big component of this was technology. And that seems to have set a tone in my mind of a change in position that says fault or blame, attributable, even in the case where there was direction, I think, based on what I've read, that suggested things are not working well in the case of the um, medication administration uh, module and accessing it and therefore you will need to override some of the safety protocols as part of the routine. How do we address that as part of this?
2: Yeah, I, I think there's um, several things to unpack there. The, the first I think is that in general, HCPs, whether it be a, an MD, an NP, a PA, a nurse, get into healthcare because they wanna help people, right? They, they are helpers by, by definition. Um, their goal is to create a good patient outcome and have people walk away in a better place than when they came to them, right? Um, And so I think we, as a society, have to assume good intent. The second thing is that HCPs by nature are medical detectives. We're asking them to make life and death decisions when all the information is not there. It is impossible for a clinician to know every single symptom, every single diagnosis, every single disease. Um, And oftentimes they are tasked with making a decision at a moment's notice that the patient could either die or live. And we're asking them to do that without complete information. I think one of the unintended consequences of this case is that you will see HCPs take an extra step, wait until they have 100% of the information to make sure that something like this does not happen again. And you will see patient care suffer because if I have to wait until I have 100% of the information, time elapses and time is not on your side all the time in a critical care emergency. Um, I think there are tools out there like Hippocrates, where folks can check drug monographs but again, that's, that is a tool in the arsenal. It's not the end-all, be-all, right? And we have to enable clinicians to make decisions when they have most of the information, when they are fairly confident, um, but that's not a sure thing, right? And I think that we have to support clinicians to continue to make the hard decisions in critical care settings to be able to be successful overall in their uh, jobs as HCPs, helpers, carers, so,
1: you know, a good sort of breakdown of that, and, and I think m- many of us are troubled by the, the approach, you, you know, the, the chilling effect on root cause analysis, you mm-hmm. know, getting to the bottom of errors. As you think about this from a technology standpoint, and, you, you know, you're right, uh, clinical professionals are... Medical detectives that work in a world of uncertainty. How do we create? What what are the ways in which we create technology and a, an environment that supports that genuinely essential component of healthcare and the delivery of safe healthcare that's you know both cost effective and you know compassionate?
2: Yeah, I I think. Technology as a tool can help us to create a safeguard, right? We we can understand that if you do X and Y, Z will happen, right? Whether that be checking that medications have a severe interaction with each other in a in a patient, right? Um, but we should not rely on technology to be the end all be all. Technology did not go to medical school. Technology did not get a um, nurses degree or NPPA degree. We, we have to empower clinicians to be the HCPs that we want them to be. And we have to create good technologies that can help them along the way and create those safeguards. I, I think in this instance that we're talking about, there were um, some technology pieces in place that may or may not have failed, right? Did not provide that, that safety net. Um, and so we have to create scenarios where that can't happen, Right. Um, But we also have to remember, again, good intent and that um, this particular clinician was trying to save a life. They were trying to provide good care. And at the end of the day, that is the standard that we should hold all HCPs, RNs, NPs, PAs, right? We're trying to do the right thing without having all of the information. And we're doing our best to make a good decision for a good patient outcome.
1: Yeah, so I I think as I... um... Distill out some of the the critical points. One of the things that you said early on for me, is an essential element of this, which is the inclusion of that range of individuals, both from a uh, original input. I think the survey that you talked about, you know becomes essential knowledge and insight to sort of drive the way in which we think about how care is being delivered. You, you described what, what to me was quite shocking. Um, 16.1 hours was the rise in terms of the number of hours. That's per day um, and that's ongoing. So, you know, that accumulates, there's, that doesn't leave much for other things. And then there's the contributory factor of technology. But where I think the difference takes place or the opportunity is, is to bring in those individuals as part of that process to be able to drive the the design, the workflow, to be inextricably involved. So as I think about this, I I would suggest that it's the clinicians that need to be uh, central to the the decision-making process.
2: That's absolutely right. We have to make technologies that come along for the ride and make it easier, um, provide that safety net, but also provide an easy way to get additional information, learning, et cetera. Uh, Medicine is moving faster than it ever has before due to technology. We can't leave HCPs behind because of that. They have to be at the forefront of that. Um, And creating tools, creating technologies that allow them to maximize their training, their real world knowledge, um, seeing the patient in front of them. Uh, That is a recipe for success in healthcare. And we can't do that without the voice of the HCP at the table when we're creating these technologies. Matt, thanks very much for joining me on the show. Thanks so much, Nick. I really enjoyed it. It was excellent being on your show. I can't wait to speak to you again soon.
1: In our new digital information age, access and user experience cannot be afterthoughts to the clinical interface. Our design process and thinking continues to be informed by historical dogma. We designed electronic medical records systems based on the paper record and the patient folders. In many cases, the visual design was even copied, failing to adapt to the new opportunities of a digital interface and create a delightful user experience. As we heard, data and user interface impacts safety and interferes with the driving force in every clinical setting. That of doing good and making the best possible decisions for each and every patient based on the best available data at the time. Refuse to accept information overload that overwhelms the staff working each and every day to deliver the best possible care. Your better pill to swallow is to rethink technology implemented in healthcare. Technology needs to come along for the ride and provide support to those working day-to-day in the delivery of clinical care. Everyone in your care team needs to have a voice and participate in defining and building the tools and solutions that are implemented to support the delivery of outstanding care. Staff come in each and every day wanting to deliver the best possible care to patients, but they need time, not just for their patients, but to participate in creating the technical environment that supports these ideals. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare, as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will.
0: That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favourite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com slash hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown, and join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.